This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 141. Randy Light on experiential learning. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Let's help you to step into your own circle of power. Hey there, it's Jason Lynette, and this is a conversation that I've been wanting to have on this program now for quite some time, and it's about time that you all get to listen to it as well. I've known of Randy Light for a couple of years now, having heard her speak at various conventions over the years, such as the Mid-America Hypnosis Conference, HypnoThoughts Live, and just an outstanding speaker and presenter. And you're going to hear some really interesting nuances to her style of work in this conversation here today, that uh, everything from hypnotizing friends while as a camper, as an eighth grader, to eventually moving into a career as an entrepreneur, as a massage therapist, and then deciding to then transition over to hypnosis and eventually coming up with her own systems, her own protocols in terms of how she approaches the work to help her clients from a wide variety of uh, certain issues to come in and achieve their own success, their own peak performance. So you can head over to randylight.org, and that's spelled R-A-N-D-I-L-I-G-H-T.org to learn more about Randy and her presentations and her programs. There's a lot of real actionable information and specific strategies inside of this conversation here today. I'd also encourage you to head over to hypnoticworkers.com. Com. Hypnotic Workers is the entire all-access pass to my hypnosis training library. So there are some specific techniques and strategies that we just refer to in this conversation that I teach in massive detail inside of my program. Learn more over at hypnoticworkers.com. You can get access to it for as little as $47. And with that, let's jump directly in and stick around to the end of this conversation because there's some incredible takeaways that Randy, as a side note, has a master's in education with a specific focus in environmental science. While that environmental science may not directly uh, correlate over to your interest as a hypnotist, there's some takeaways that she shares in terms of how we teach. And this is not just how we teach other people to do hypnosis. No, it also comes down to how you teach your client how to use hypnotic strategies in such a way that one establishes compliance, which is absolutely critical because they've got to use the technique to get the result, but second of all, strengthens the results of the strategies that you share with them. Stick around to the end of this conversation because that's one of the biggest takeaways that, quite honestly, I'm going to model some of the things that we, we talked about in this conversation and bring that into my work as well. So with that, let's jump directly in. This is session number 141, Randy Light on Experiential Learning. When I was in eighth grade, I would hypnotize people at camp. And I did not realize that until many years into being a hypnotist when I thought about that one day. So that was actually my first introduction. And uh, then when somebody had a sweet 16, there was a hypnotist there 
And my friend, a really good friend of mine, she got up and they did some things with her. And so that was another one of those moments where I would check that out. And I never wondered, I always wondered why they didn't choose me to go up there. And they did that levitation where they lift you all the way up and she's as flat as a board and stiff as a board. So that was my second intro. And then when I was a massage therapist, for about 10 years, I was a massage therapist, but I started having a lot of pain in my hands and my body, and I needed another way to help people heal. So I looked in this magazine, uh, this monthly Aspectarian magazine that's in Chicago area, and I was looking through it for another way to help people heal. And I didn't know anything about hypnosis, hadn't thought about hypnosis in many, many years. But there was a... a, a advertisement that said something about hypnosis and you could go for two 12-hour days for a great price and learn about it. So I thought about going and then Tim Schur lived in my area and was a hypnotist. Randy? Nope, I lost you there for a second. Um, and you'll love the technology here. Hey, Kate, we'll clean this up. Uh, Randy, if you can go kind of back to uh, Tim Schur was in my area and just kind of pick up from there. Okay. So Tim Schur lives in my area and is a hypnotist here, or he was a hypnotist here. And I could go to him for about the same price for a private session as I could to go get this training. And so I decided to go for the training. And then eventually I got training from Tim Schur as well. So that is really how I got started on all this. Yeah, I've got to rewind you back, though, because there's clearly some elements that we got to unravel here that at um, at about 14 or so years old, you were hypnotizing people at camp. Yes. <laughs> so so how did that come about? How did that um, how, how did the knowledge at first get in there? That's a great question. And I'm wondering if I also must have saw another hypnotist somewhere or saw something on TV, but I actually don't remember. But I remember being on the bus on the way to camp and doing this little process on on people's arms. And <laughs> I, I mean, I really don't remember. I just remember I see in my head them doing things that I told them to do, whatever it was. I told them to must have, I don't I don't know if we use the word sleep back then, <laughs> but they closed their eyes and now I told them things to do and then they would do them and it was fascinating. I love that. I mean there's there's a theme that's popped up here several times, which is that when we're first learning this, there's a nice benefit that sometimes we don't yet know enough to be cautious. We don't yet know enough to be in our heads going, what if this doesn't work? Instead, we just kind of jump into it uh, in that experience. And so often, you know, that student going through a training would start to discover that, oh, I'm already doing this. It's just now there's a title to it. Now there's a technique that's sort of unpacking something that I've already been doing, which I want to bring that forward now to, you know, those years working as a massage therapist. What would you say it was about that massage career that really prepared you to then jump into the hypnosis? Well, I, I loved helping people heal. And I seemed to have a knack for it. And I used my hands and my intuition and I could, they would, my hands would speak to me in essence. And I've been in the healing world. And actually, when I was in fifth grade, that was the first time I remember anything to do with healing. But I would go to my really close friend's house. And instead of 
playing with her, I would go try to help her brother who was autistic and couldn't talk. I would try to get him to talk. But back then I didn't have the tools, but I would really work on it. So that was one of my first moments where I was realizing that I was into you know, doing something that was was very out of the ordinary for where I grew up in the Midwest. And that, so then many years later, I started doing other things, but I loved the massage, but it was a little too much on me and I could only do a few people at each time. Mm -hmm. right, yes, each day. That's actually popped up here several times too of, you know, here's something that it is physically strenuous. You're up there and you're doing it. And, you know, uh, it, I've cracked the joke recently that if I knew how to target this market, I would. The dental hygienist who suddenly now has arthritis and now is looking to become a hypnotist. Yeah. <laughs> that I've seen that in the office. I've seen that in the class several times now. Yeah. Same with the massage therapist. I, mean, I tell people now that I help people's pains go away and I don't even have to massage them. Mm -hmm. And I know there's very there, there's a statistic. There's only like 10 or 20% of massage therapists that can continue having that as a career for their life. Most people cannot. So then out of the initial training, uh, what was the next step from there for you? Well, Indiana had the strangest laws. Mm -hmm. So when I did the first two 12-hour days, I did two sessions at the Lidecker Institute in Illinois, and I live in Indiana. Well, Indiana, when I first started, had, you had to do 500 classroom hours, and there wasn't even a way of becoming a hypnotist. So then Tim Schur opened a school and there hadn't been a school here in 10 years. And I was the first student in the state, but I had to do 500 classroom hours. Right now I train people to become hypnotists and they have to do somewhere around 150 hours. So there's a big gap, but that's what I ended up doing. I, I did a lot of training. So once I was done, uh, I mean, I worked with all of Tim's clients for months. So I, when I was done with my training, I was very confident hypnotist. Which, correct me on this, was that within the time frame where for a short span of time, there was actually a licensing process in Indiana, right? Yeah, there was a licensing process. There was a lot of politics surrounding laws where you can uh, hypnotize, do a past life regression with more than three people there, but you could do stage shows and things like that. So it was a very interesting thing, but all the laws are, are gone in Indiana. There's, there's no licensing laws. There's no laws mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, and correct me on this cause you would know better that at the point it's somehow the, the program that did eventually develop just, they deemed it one way it built a bit of a monopoly and just, it wasn't a quality program. And that's what unraveled that licensing process. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I was just really grateful that it was this one sentence on a bill. <laughs> that said it was, the, hip, the hypnotist committee is banned, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then what was the thought process? What was that uh, initial step in terms of turning it into that career then? Oh, I, that's a great question. I just, I actually started in Chicago in Old Town. I thought that's way too far and too big. And then I opened up a, an office in New Buffalo and realized that if I'm going to start a business and open up a business, I need to be confident, even more confident. So I actually made some CDs, hypnosis MP3s and CDs right away. One's called I'm Calm, Confident, and In Control. And I really made it for me and my clients at the same time because so many people know of hypnosis for smoking and weight loss, 
But I decided I needed this MP3 or CD for calm, confident, and in control so I could feel confident when I first started. And I also had some health challenges, so I also made a Healing Your Body CD. So actually what ended up happening is I really attracted people more who were having trouble with feelings of anxiety and depression and sleep issues, or they had chronic pain or physical problems and challenges like cancer and different things in their bodies. And that's what ended up, I ended up spending a lot of time with them. Of course, I worked with smokers and weight loss, but what I realized was I spent, I attracted many people that needed help in other ways that I hadn't even realized that hypnosis was so great for. Yeah, yeah. So there's been this theme inside of your history of even dating back to as those younger years working with your friend's little brother. Um, Inside of that, was was the healing route always the outcome that you had in mind? Or was there a point in time where you were looking into something else, perhaps? That's such a great question. You're really making me think and I love it. So <laughs> here, so here's the thing. I, when I was in my early 20s, I remember starting taking a yoga class and then I had all these serendipitous things happen with this one woman. But I ended up taking this chakra class. And that was my first introduction to chakras. And what they, this person taught us was actually to suck out the sickness out of the chakras, like to, to imagine them leaving their body and going into your hands. And I was practicing on a good friend of mine. And I felt this blast of energy, leave her and go into my hand, which at the moment, I thought was the coolest thing that I actually felt a physical feeling. But then I was sick for a couple of days. And I decided, well, I, I, I can't do something like this if I'm going to be sick. <laughs> and that so, and then a couple of years later, I had one of those pivotal moments that actually changed my life. And I was teaching gymnastics because I, I've been a gymnast for many, many years, but I went to college. I wasn't a college gymnast, but in high school and middle school, I was. So now I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I was teaching gymnastics, not really sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I was take, t- taking kids out of that foam pit. And I had one of those pivotal moments that changed my life forever where my my back, all of a sudden there was extreme pain. I ended up herniating discs and my sacroiliac joint moved and I was in pain from head to toe for three years. But it really got me on my path. It really got me to try to figure out how to heal myself, what healing is. So I've always thought of myself in some ways as a healer, not even knowing what that meant. And so then over time, I ended up getting a master's degree in environmental education. So Instead of helping people heal, uh, physically, I was actually teaching people to love and care for Mother Earth as my paid profession, but I worked with a medicine man for about six years when I lived in California, and we would do many different healing techniques and help. We, I mean, I, I witnessed and was participating in many different healing ceremonies where I saw people overcome cancer and different things like that. So I've always been in that realm, but it was my volunteer work. And then it switched when I became a hypnotist. And so it became my, my, my paid profession. So what motivated it then to actually then become that paid profession for you? Are you still there? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. I heard a, so, 
Um, Let me give a clean intro to that, Kate. Um, and I'm not, I know your name is not Kate. I'm talking to my editors. <laughs> I figured um, something. Exactly. So what was that motivation then to take it from something that was the side interest, perhaps even hobby, and then bring it into that profession instead? When I moved from California back to the Midwest, I also had a baby. And in my field as an environmental educator, I think they wanted to pay me $12 an hour and then I'd have to pay a babysitter mm. and not be with my child. So I, that's how I got to became, become a massage therapist. I wanted a way of being. Take their pains away and, and help them tremendously. And I get paid a lot more money. Mm -hmm. So I tried the the environmental education stuff while I was here for a little while. But that I wanted to raise my child. I wanted to be in his life. So then I became a massage therapist. And I made more money and spent less time with people. But eventually, I moved into the hypnosis because that was a way of helping people heal without even using my body. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that theme of you know, looking at it as here you are as that now entrepreneur and starting your own uh, profession, starting your own career. And really from that comes this greater sense of control that yeah, I, I share a similar story that, you know, the mechanism of moving over to doing the hypnosis full time is what allowed me to just simply have a life to, to be married, to have kids and to be able to do these um, other things beyond just have a job and show up and that be the lifestyle. So we'll bounce around a little bit inside of this conversation. And I'm just curious to ask this question here. Someone is now coming into your office and, you know, whether we get specific as to what they're coming in for, because I know you have some specific, uh, you know, niches that you work within quite a bit of, but just generally someone's coming into the, your office, someone's coming into your space. I'd often describe this as being that user experience. What is it that someone's going to experience that's unique of working with you as opposed to perhaps someone else? Well, as an environmental educator, so I have a master's degree in education with an environmental focus. So what I realized along the way, and even some of my clients told me this, they said, when I come to you, it seems seems like I'm getting trained. It's a training. And she, that's what she tells people instead of people that she's coming to a hypnotist. She's like, I'm going to my trainer. So I realized along the way that I share and do experiential activities that teach and create buy-in. So they, they hook the learners, if you will, whoever's in my, my clients and help them understand what we're doing and why it's important for them to learn things. And I do a lot of educating about the power of the mind, about the subconscious and conscious, how they program their mind. So for me, when people come in that's different than other people, is that I'm doing experiential activities, I'm sharing a lot of science, I'm having them up and moving and teaching them things that even if I did not hypnotize them, I'm still helping them understand how they program their subconscious and how I was programming their subconscious during that time. So the process begins with that educational mindset and then eventually transitions over to the, let's say, formal hypnosis? Yes. 
Exactly. And so I spend the first session with the consultation and the education, the pre-talk can take up to two hours. And I think that's probably there's I know some people do it that way, but I created a proprietary system called the essential four. And I pretty much realized along the way is that virtually every person that comes to my office needs this. And virtually, I believe virtually every person on the planet would benefit from going through the four-session protocol and including all of the hypnotists and especially the hypnotists who haven't really stepped into their power and what they need to do. So, so that's another thing is I usually take people through these four sessions that I have found to be the most powerful and transformational sessions to get that rapid results and create peak performance no matter what is the problem or challenge. Yeah, and just briefly, what's a thumbnail sketch of those four components? So the first component I like to call the confidence building, ego strengthening, and help you respond resourcefully to the world. And it does emotional clearing in a light and easy way so that my clients can have a great hypnotic experience the first session. And so we've built a foundation of confidence, of of believing in themselves, and and I teach a lot of different things about loving and accepting yourself, and I incorporate what I call hypnotic enhancers into all the four sessions, and I teach the teach the hypnotic enhancers and the essential four to other hypnotists because I do trainings as well. But these hypnotic enhancers, I'll I shared at at HypnoThoughts and all the different conferences, and they're just different little things. Like I give a gift during the four L's on the first session about loving yourself to help them remember to love themselves and stop the self-criticism and become their own best friend. So they get a bracelet that reminds them and helps them reinforce that. So that's one example of a hypnotic enhancer. And I, I use a couple of other things. I have these laughing pills during the four L's. They're little, little plush, uh, like little toys. And you press them. So when I'm teaching them, and they're in hypnosis and I'm guiding them to laugh at things that used to bother them, I press these two happy pills and they make laughing sounds and it just helps them to reinforce that they can laugh at things that used to bother them and they can release those chemical endorphins and that helps them let things go. So yeah. that's the first session. The second session is re is regression. Is this is as long as everybody's basically ready for all this regression to the root cause of what I call their dominant limiting or dominant so I do regression to the root cause of their dominant negative emotion, whether it's guilt or anger or they're feeling anxiety or depression or even with insomnia. So we do regression to the root cause. And of course, we do more confidence building and ego strengthening. And I deliver suggestions uh, to help them in whichever specific way they came. But that's the second session. And then the third, the third session, I do timeline therapy which also includes a disassociated regression to the root cause of a dominant limiting belief. And the timeline therapy, just helping people understand how they map and code time and changing it to a more resourceful or useful way if needed, can help ADD clients, help people get more organized, and then the getting to the root cause of a limiting belief. Well, we've all got at least one, if not many, <laughs> but getting to that main one is also a big game changer. All these are big game changers, but what, in essence, what we're really doing is we're building that foundation of trust and confidence and, and accepting and loving themselves and then doing the emotional clearing with the regression 
and timeline. And then it all leads up to forgiveness, forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others. So that's the four session. I take people to the forgiveness fire. And all during those four times, I'm still including some of the hypnotic enhancers that I've incorporated along the way that really, really help people release those stored emotions on the cellular level and make that deep and lasting change. So there's a question that, uh, and thank you for sharing that, especially with that uh, detail, that um, I'm often curious to ask the question of, is that something that you purposefully developed or is that something that just over time you discovered you were doing? It's, it's actually a little bit of both. I realized, I asked myself the question, well, if my clients are only going to give me four sessions, because sometimes I have a four, I actually have a four session package and an eight session. And I also used to have a 12 session. So if they're going to only give me four that I felt like that put a lot of pressure on me to help them because I only have four sessions. So what can I do in those four sessions that would be the most transformational, the most healing, they could get the best results. And that's what I found along the way that I needed to build their confidence, do ego strengthening, help them respond resourcefully, but also have a great hypnotic experience on the first time because I'm an analyzer resistor and you know what that mm-hmm. is in our world. And so for me, doing regression has has been difficult. I didn't want to put that burden on, on people on the first session. Plus, people need to learn how to respond resourcefully to the world. M- almost everybody needs that. And it reduces the stress and melts the stress. People's pains go away. I've had fibromyalgia go into remission just on that first session. So I just noticed along the way there were incredible positives that took place on that first session. So then I was like, well, I got to do this with pretty much everybody who walks in the door. And regression, while I've always done regression, that's always something that I feel like for as hypnotists, that is the one thing that we can do best for people that other uh, modalities cannot do. So I've always done regression. When I found timeline therapy, oh my goodness, that one was a game changer. So it was figuring out how we map and code time. And I, I, Really, it's all leading up to forgiveness, which to me is the ultimate healing thing. It's just not everybody's ready for forgiveness on the first session. And then they plus they need other tools and strategies to be able to respond, respond differently to their world. Yeah, and I love the natural progression of that, that basically it's the uh, build them up in the first session, second session, clean up some of the stuff that's been causing some of the issues. Uh, within the timeline, you know, we're also at that point strengthening resources and checking our work basically of the regression at times. And then from there, releasing any of those other negative emotional ties. Uh, there's a dialogue sometimes that when we work in this systematic mindset that uh, I, I give you a through line on this uh, in an entirely different category that years ago, I found it on the business side of things to have at least a bit of an outline, you know, in terms of these are my checkpoints of that initial phone call coming in, the client coming in. And these are our points that I need to make sure I hit before it eventually gets down to here's what the program is. Here's what the investment is. When do you want to come in? So I had some checkpoints that I had to hit. And when I first published it, I had a little bit of negative commentary from some people, not of the content, but really it's this anti-system even in – it's not a script clearly, but this anti-format of something. Though, do you find at times by having at least a system to work within, 
it actually does give you greater flexibility or is it really that reliable for you? It does give me greater flexibility and it's very reliable at the same time. Mm -hmm. What I love about it is it frees me up to be more intuitive. It frees yes. me up and, and then I can really be there at present for my clients. When you know what you're going to do with your clients, you can always change your mind and realize they're not ready to do regression or something. But it, it frees me up completely and makes me feel at peace because I know what I need to do with them. And, I, and, then, and then with my notes and everything, I know what I've done. I know the induction I've done with them. And, and it just makes, it's, it makes everything very smooth, practical, and once again, frees, frees you up to be more intuitive. Yeah, absolutely. So within that work, are there specific things that you find that you either enjoy working with best or eventually just found you were doing most of the work in perhaps some of these specific categories? Yeah, I found that I was attracting and ended up working with a lot of people with anxiety, feelings of anxiety and depression, whether some of them were on meds or not on meds, and they still were having these feelings, and insomnia. So those seem very related, anxiety, depression, insomnia. But that seems, to, and it seems to be an epidemic around here, at least where I live, and there's so many people, and I work with children, and it's it makes me feel sad that children have these deep feelings of anxiety and deep feelings of depression or have trouble sleeping. So I love working with children and whatever gets them into my office, I feel in some ways though, is it's kind of lucky because I am doing mental training and peak performance with them so they can learn. I teach them these tools and strategies that they can use for the rest of their life. So it's, it's not fun what brought them in, but once they get to work with someone with the work that I do gives them those great opportunities to utilize these resources and tools for the rest of their life. Yeah, absolutely. So is there, um, is there a specific story that kind of stands out of, uh, working with uh, a client that, you know, really helps to define what your approach is and where you want to see them go within their work? Well, the one that I tell a lot is this, she was around 20 years old and she had fibromyalgia for a number of years and she's at college and she had to quit college because she was in so much pain. She had gained a bunch of weight. She had been a gymnast. So now she's overweight. She's in pain, which affects your sleep and everything else. And they were, no one knew what to do. Her parents, everybody was just distraught. Well, they brought her, she came in to see me and it was obvious that she was very, very stressed out. And that age group is very self-conscious and they think this is how they're going to be the rest of their life. So what happened was uh, I did that first session that I talk about with her and I just happened to ask her what her pain level was before we started because we weren't really focusing on that at all. We were going to do the stress reduction session that I normally do and she was at a six. But after going through going into hypnosis and doing the different things we do, when we do a little bit of healing, just imagining a soothing, relaxing, healing energy flowing through them is my way of doing a progressive relaxation induction. But anyway, so she, afterwards, her pain level was at a zero, mm -hmm. a zero. And her fibromyalgia went into remission. And that's not what we were focusing on. So that was fascinating to me. I love that. these. Uh, I, I keep using the phrase of uh, residual trance where something cleans up 
that wasn't actually the focus of what you were addressing. And, um, you know, briefly, I had the story of years ago working with this woman for fear of flying, and she calls me from the conference she's now, she's now at, and she goes, uh, voicemail, you need to call me back as soon as possible, which the first thought is, oh, dear. Uh, but to <laughs> then get her on the phone, it's the, I need you to explain something. It's like, what? She goes, my fear of public speaking is now also gone. And it's a Woo! bit of a pause to then go, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, we're these, then again, there's the other story of working with a guy of um, being able to fall asleep more easily. And it's like our third meeting and he goes, yeah. And by the way, the nightmares are gone. It's like, wait, what nightmares? Oh, I've had night terrors every night of my life ever since I was 12. Oh, you didn't think that was helpful to share. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, and that kind of transitions us over to working with uh, people for sleep improvement. Um, you know, what strategies, and yes, I'm perhaps sure that part of your system comes into place here. Are there specific takeaways? Are there specific themes that you found to be beneficial in going after that insomnia? Yeah, well, actually doing that, the essential for that first session, mm -hmm. people, so that first session alone, uh, I have said so many people, they sleep better. They just automatically start sleeping better. And I know that's just from going into hypnosis and some of the things that we do. But then on the second session, when we do regression, I just, I still do regression with them, but I, I utilize Debbie Papadakis's yes. technique of having them consciously I ask, you know, find out what they're doing right before they're going to bed. And I write all this down and I have them pick the worst time that they remember lately a bad night's sleep. And you take them through every hour to find out if they're asleep or awake, what they're doing, what they're thinking and go through the whole night. But then when you take them into hypnosis, then you, you do that whole process again. But when, as soon as you get an emotion, so they're frustrated most of the time, then I do regression to that root cause of their frustration and deal with, that and do a typical regression, but then I move them forward with all the healing and reevaluating and integrating of these new resources until they get back into that night that we started. And so then usually they're, they're feeling much better. They're much more comfortable, confident, and they sleep wonderfully through the night. And, and that usually really, really helps tremendously. I've had I have over 90% success rate with this and with the insomnia and with the feelings of anxiety and, and depression. And, and, but then I'll continue with this to make sure that it continues. So I don't, it's almost like, I feel like I come through the back door sometimes with the in, insomnia instead of saying, you'll sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of brand sleep as being something that could be considered and this is an odd way of phrasing it, I know, but to actually claim it as being a non-issue, that sleep is something that the body knows what to do and you can't consciously decide the exact moment you fall asleep. So the mechanism of improving sleep is really to work with everything around the sleep. And by doing so, that then allows them to drift into that rest and stay there as well. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, something I want to definitely spend some time chatting with you is that I know um, and I've heard you speak on this before, and that's quite honestly why I reached out to you. Uh, but the work that you've done with athletes. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering, uh, so do you want me to just talk about yeah, it? Yeah, go for it. Just, just launch us in. We'll go from there. Well, I was a gymnast. So when I was a gymnast, I had a lot of fear. Now, I was really strong, so I could kind of strength my way through some of these tricks and skills. 
but I always had fears. And I also remember in high school, it said on the wall, PMA, positive mental attitude, but nobody ever talked about what that meant or mm -hmm. what it is or how to, why it was important. And then, so I realized when I was a hypnotist that uh, peak, that this could possibly help them. And I think I, I worked with one of my friends at, for different things with her, but she had some children that were swimmers. And so that she thought I might be able to work with them. And she had actually been a volleyball player for in college, the, the mom did. So these kids came, so she brought her kids to me. I think that's really where I started. taught them the circle of power. But what and Randy, could you pause there for a second? Because it kind of dropped out the audio for a moment. Could you just rewind back to my friend brought her kids to me? Sure. Yeah, thanks. So my friend who I'd worked with a number of times brought her children to see me, and they were both swimmers at the time. What fascinated me when they came to see me is I worked with them individually, but when they both came back about a week later, they said to me, oh, my God, it happened just like I saw it in your office. So kids are great at me mental rehearsal and their conscious mind doesn't get involved like it does with us adults. So they <laughs> followed through everything I said. And when they came back, they said it happened just as, you know, they hit the, their time was the same, the way their mother responded. So that made me clue in also. But then I taught them the circle of power, which is a really, really powerful NLP technique. And it's great for everybody, but it's even better for athletes. So she imagined her circle of power where she would, had been in the zone on the block when she took off to go swimming. Well, she realized this one, one of the daughters realized that she was starting to get a little tense when she was at the state meet. So she, we knew she'd make it to state because she was really talented. So, but she called me and we did a phone session and we did a few different things. And she actually shaved off two seconds, not point two, <laughs> two seconds at that 50 meter swim, a 50 meter swim at the state meet. So she broke records and different things. So what happened is I really started to have to pay attention and what I was doing. And I was just like, oh, this might, you know, this might be really powerful. I mean, and I read some books also to really get focused on what things I could do with people. And then I also created a four-step process for getting athletes and performers into the zone. So when I started having these miraculous things, <laughs> or, you know, these incredible results, like I had a diver come in, she was afraid to do her dives all of a sudden. And, and so her dad brought her in to see me. And after one session, she di she did her dives and she got her best dive ever and broke a school record. So I so, so I actually I'm actually training people, which is so funny. I'm training people right now to become peak performance coaches and to become essential force specialists because I, I have the system energy that I've put together to that people can utilize. And I'm even been writing some of the curriculum recently for it, for the peak performance curriculum thinking, and I'm pulling in all of what I learned in my master's degree about educating. And I always just think it's fascinating to hook the learners. So what I learned along the way of, is that you want to use exercises, especially with children or activities that 
hook the learners that creates buy-in. And there's a few different ones that I utilize that helps them understand how their mind affects their body. And it's really important for athletes. So I incorporate that and I teach that so everybody will actually utilize these. And I do them with adults and they can also be done in private sessions or group training. So it's fascinating to have these tools and techniques and strategies that you can do individually and in groups and get great results. Yeah, and I want to come back to that concept of learning, though for a moment, let's rewind back to doing that uh, circle of excellence, circle of power with the athlete. And I love that you hit upon the theme that, you know, we would often look at some of these techniques and, um, you know, whether it's anything we could teach a client, if it's that circle of power, if it's that uh, swish pattern. Um, and we could often make the mistake of looking at it as being this compartmentalized little thing that you run this technique. But to look at exactly what you did there, which was to put that circle where they're actually going to be um, and modify from their environment. I, I'd share a similar through line that that's one that I've used over the years or to ask the athlete, you know, what's your ritual in terms of warming up? And I actually work with a lot of gymnasts and it becomes, okay, well, while you're holding that stretch, close your eyes and then run the scene in your mind during you're doing that. So you're warming up the body at the same time, warming up the mind. But I love that aspect that you highlighted there of customizing it to the individual and putting that element in place where they're actually going to be and where they can actually put it into use, which on one side of things makes it now have a higher compliance because it's not this weird thing of, yes, we can give an audio and that's effective, but that may require a dimly lit room and a CD player for 30 minutes, as opposed to folding it into where they're actually going to be. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and th they just, and I give them the opportunity to decide you know, where they could use it while we're, we're anchoring the circle of power while we're installing it so that they can, they'll visualize themselves use, utilizing it in the future in two different situations. So they'll, they'll actually imagine themselves stepping onto that block if they're a swimmer or stepping out of the batting cage or up to bat if they're a batter. But at the same time they're imagining it in this future scene, they do it at the same time they actually take a step and move into it when I'm uh, helping them install it. Yeah, absolutely. So from the background in education, uh, from that experience, what is it that you think people should understand differently, at least on the, the training side of, uh, of learning hypnosis, of sharing this information, presenting it? So, you're, so I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah, from the background of learning how to actually help people learn that, you know, we'd okay. often be jumping into it. Maybe it's giving a, a seminar at a convention. Maybe it's giving a speech at the local um you know, business group, uh, chamber of commerce type thing. What are some takeaways that perhaps people could learn that would make them more effective in that, uh, in that teaching role? Great. So one of the things you want to do is hook your learners. Mm -hmm. You want to grab them. You want that you want to do something to wow them or have them be wowed by something, something that wakes them up and say, well, maybe I need to listen to this presenter and, and it creates buy-in. So it teaches them something, it, it hooks them, it gets them to want to hear what you have to say. So I always encourage that to hook the learners, do something, show a, a, a video or do a demonstration, just something to get them excited, to wake them up and saying that they want to pay attention. And then 
you want to, whatever activity, whatever you're going to do doesn't during the time, whether you're doing a presentation or a workshop is to do what I call the IAA learning model yeah. and it's inform, inform, assimilate, apply. And so, so you don't just have them do the activity. You tell them what they're, you give them information about what they're about to learn then you have them experience it and do something. So they're assimilating it. Then you actually have them apply it by either writing it down or, 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 or answering questions like what happened, what did they learn, or actually both. So that reinforces everything and gets it into the subconscious mind and becomes a long-term memory thing, and then they remember it more. And just to briefly highlight that, uh, we can work from the assumption that most people in this audience would know what that uh, circle of excellence, circle of power process would be. But could you just kind of walk us through like a sketch of running that IAA pattern if you're teaching that to a client? With the circle of power? Sure. So I'm thinking I've done a lot of different talking with them before I do the circle of power. But the circle of power, I talk about how you want to be able to change your state. So if, if you made a mistake and you're upset with yourself, I've already did a demonstration to show them how that actually makes their body go weak. Mm -hmm. They've, they've experienced that. So now, so now I've created buy-in and it moves into the circle of power because it teaches them how to change their state and get into a resourceful state, which is very, very important for everybody, let alone for an athlete. So I'm, I've explained to them all about changing your state and why that's important and to get, and they know about getting into the zone. So I'm actually talking about all these, these different things and teaching them that they can get into the zone, that they can change their state and why it's so important. So that's part of what I'm doing. I'm doing this informing and letting them know about, oh, my favorite thing, I'll, t I'll share this story is so teaching them what an anchor and trigger is. So for, I'll tell them that, uh, when I was in Tracy Sackley's bedroom in high school. Mm -hmm. uh, so what happened is if I'm driving right now, if I'm driving in the road on the road and Bruce Springsteen's song comes on, I'm literally transported back into Tracy Sackley's bedroom in high school in that memory, singing at the top of my lungs, feeling great. And so that is an auditory anchor that triggers that memory. And so I'll share that with them. But also I share this story when I was training at, I was actually training a bunch of volleyball coaches and one of the coaches told me this story. He thought this Olympic coach was really stupid, but then realized along the way when he was learning about these anchors in the circle of power that, oh, wow, this, this, this Olympic uh, uh, coach really knew what he was doing. But <laughs> what happened was he, what he did was he had a box of strawberries and fresh strawberries. And so every time the athlete, the Olympic athlete did an amazing performance, he would have them smell the strawberries. And then the next time the athlete did something, any of the athletes did something amazing and were in that zone, he'd have them smell the box of strawberries. And then again, so now we created this neuro association. So now if to just get into that zone, to be in their best place in that wonderful state, all they have to do is smell the strawberries. So that is an, uh, a smell anchor. And I'll explain that to them before the circle of power. And then I tell them, so when I take, do the circle of power, so now we're going to do this activity, I tell them if they can choose any feeling they want to feel just by stepping into a circle, just 
by taking a step. You know, what do you want to feel? And so some want to feel confident, relaxed, and you can have more than one feeling. So first I get them to choose what they want to feel, what state they want at any given moment. And then I have them go through that process of utilizing the circle of power. And then I actually, so all my athletes, all the people that come to me, the work with me privately and in groups, they get a workbook and a guide back book to keep track of the learning. So then after they do the circle of power, they'll go sit down and write about their circle of power to mm. reinforce it, to help them remember. So I have, yeah, all, everybody, if you come for the essential four, you come for peak performance or mental toughness training, weight loss, whatever it is, they get a workbook. I love that. Yeah. Anything to, to hang the process off of a conscious hook as well and reinforces it, which I mean, even on the business side, the simple action of having someone give a testimonial, yes, that you know, is helpful for your business, but it's also helping them to retell their own story and drive that process, that change even deeper. Exactly. Helps everybody. Uh, this has been fantastic, Randy. Uh, where can, where can people find out more about you online? They can go to randylight.org and that's R-A-N-D-I-L-I-G-H-T.org you know, Facebook too, enlightened living with Randy light, but they can, you can get a free MP3 on my, my website when you go to it, uh, to generate unstoppable confidence. Nice. And you have some of your courses available or some of the schedules there too. Yeah. My courses are there. The, the circle of power, you can get that too. And I was going to say, you know, if, if somebody ends up buying something and after listening to this on my website, they, they can, contact me and I'll give a complimentary coaching session. Oh, nice. Once they get something, yeah, they can. And, and so you can contact me at randylight at gmail.com or through my website or even call me at 219-929-8726. And I'm, I'm available for sure. Outstanding. We'll put all these uh, links, details, and contact information over in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com too. Uh, Randy, thanks so much for being on here. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for everything that you do for our work. Hey, it's Jason Lennett here once again. And as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for subscribing, for leaving your positive reviews over on iTunes, for sharing it on Facebook. And once again, I'd encourage you to head over to hypnoticworkers.com. Com. It's a whole hypnosis training environment that happens online. It's Netflix for your hypnosis training library. So everything from rethinking inductions to strategies for change that you will not find anywhere else. And the great thing about hypnotic workers is that we keep adding information to it. As of the month of recording this podcast, there's a whole new module on the NLP strategy of logical levels, a whole new section specific to demonstrational hypnosis, stage hypnosis, giving presentations. It's a growing library that just helps you to become unstoppable with your confidence, and you can get access to this thing for as little as $47. Check it out, hypnoticworkers.com. See you on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. <laughs>